Hello, hello everyone. It's Gabrielle from Mustafa Tutoring Services. Welcome to the fourth episode of Hot Topics, where we talk real talk about things that are happening in education, employment, mental health, social services, physical health, psychology, or anything else that's steamy. So we have a repeat guest today. Her name is Nathifa Lewis, and today she will talk to us about the hot topic of technology in education. So I'm going to just give you a refresher of who she is. So Nathifa Lewis is a technology and education professional with over 20 years of experience in both fields. She is also a mom of three and was recently elected as the secretary of the Community Education District 28 in Southeast Queens. Additionally, she is a Girl Scout troop co-leader <clears throat> and is also a member of various community-based organizations, including a moderator of the Black Career and Employment Opportunities Facebook group, that's Black spelled B-L-A-Q-U-E, which is a subgroup of the Black Resource Network, which is also on Facebook. She's also the moderator of the Grenada Cultural Festival Group and the Quake USA Cultural Organization. So, Nathifa, welcome back to Hot Topics. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you for having me back. Awesome, awesome. All right, so we had a, an interesting discussion about the effect of technology in schools, and uh, I wanted to have you share your perspective on that. Well, I mean, technology in schools this year is definitely a hot, a hot topic. Um, we see that we've gone through a year of a pandemic and there were some students who were severely disadvantaged because they did not have the same resources as others. And um, technology is a word that we tend to like throw about a lot without sometimes really understanding what it is. Technology is a tool. A lot of times we think of the physical things, the laptops or um, uh, the desktop computers or the smart boards in the classroom. And um, this year we saw that technology went way beyond that. It went um, towards having the correct internet access to be able to access those things. It um, went to parents being able to help younger children with um, navigating Google Classroom and lots of other applications that they were being introduced to. Um, so I think, you know, it's definitely um, an interesting area for me because that is my field, but um, it's also one that we really, really do need to look at to kind of help break those um, equity um, issues that are happening for our children. And it, it was, you know, you brought up an interesting point about uh, what happened with the remote learning and even the access to technology. And I think with, with what happened, it, it exposed a, a, um, an income disparity in terms of you know, who has access to it and who doesn't have access to it. So can you talk about, do you mind talking about that and, and what it means for people 
the the have and have nots? What, what does that mean in terms of that income disparity? Um, so I think it, it went even beyond income disparity and um, it went into um, social disparities because there were a lot of people who income-wise would be co considered middle class or so forth, but had maybe, I don't know, three children in school and were working from home who had a completely different experience from someone who may be in the same back bracket, have one child and be a stay-at-home um, mom. So it went to being able to utilize the technology, be having access to the technology, regardless of your um, income uh, or support system that, that came into play as well for those who were maybe first responding um, families and didn't have like a, a space to leave their five-year-old <laughs> to be able to access all these new tools that you're like shoving down their throats. Um, it was a far cry from someone with an eight-year-old who or, or, you know, or one parent able to be with them or even a sibling. Also saw this where um, siblings were forced to take on more responsibility for their younger, um, their youngs to them get on and in turn was sometimes late for classes or missing things and sometimes being called out um, inappropriately by teachers who did not necessarily understand um, what were happening. Um, all being on those Zoom calls um, where you're asking, uh, can you hear me? You're muted. See the person buffering in and out. And all it had to do with sometimes locate, okay, did you live in a, um, a, a single family house with a dedicated um, wide connection? We're in a in building that had a lot of issues connected to Wi Fi because, you know, it's an old building, steel structures all over. Uh, those things came into technology and access. And um, if anyone has a child with a DOED, lots of students, the one point how many million um, students in DOE, um, a lot of students are those. Um, you would see like a whole range of um, apps that are on these devices. Did not get devices. Some of times had issues accessing these apps. Some understand them could not keep up with moving from, okay, we're in Google Classroom today. Now we need to go on to, um, I don't know, um, Peer Day. We need to go on to the whatnot. So those trainings, um, the DOE um, in a somewhat belated fashion tried to address it by creating things like um, an online resource called Parent University. Um, but in many cases, there was a lot, sometimes too late, or a lot sometimes just date, parents were frustrated. And when you've gotten people sometimes to a point where they're frustrated, it's hard to get them to get the benefits that's in there. Because there's a lot that's out there. You know what you're looking for, you can find it. You can have someone who can already record you that you can look at and teach you step-by-step step through these things. But if your first introduction to this thing that, you know, if you were introduced properly, love was horrible, it's going to be hard to go to the space video and it's like, okay, you've already tuned out. Um, so I think we saw adaptability coming in there um, and a lot more times on the part of the parents. Is remember, our children were um, feeding off of our responses. And if you as a parent are frustrated because you never got to understand new ways that um, the, the new technology were being applied to, it's not new maths. 
new techniques. Um, sometimes the children who are more open to it shut down because they're piggybacking off or say, I can't understand this. So they say, I can't understand this. Um, and then you sometimes kids who are being very adaptable. You put them in and all of a sudden you have a five-year-old who is jumping from Google Classroom on here, put in, in Pear Deck, uploading pictures there, navigating their iPads, um, you know, doing all these things. But a lot of the support came from being able to be fed that, okay, yes, you can do it. No, that's not too hard. No, it's not too much. And depending on the environment we're in, depending on who you have to support you when you met that one thing that was too hard, made a big difference as to how far you got. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, th I think with, I mean, technology was always in schools, but I think with what happened with the pandemic, it sort of sent it into overdrive, sort of, you know, to a, to a, point, to a point where, um, you know, the, the physical schools had to shut down. And so, you know, they, the, the remote school came into play. So I think because of that implementation, it, it opened new doors to education and as well created more problems, but uh, particularly right. <laughs> with uh, the opening of doors, like um, it, it was a way to address overpopulation in schools. Um, Cause right. I know schools in, in New York are notoriously overpopulated. So, um, so, it def so the remote learning, it, it adjusts um, um. those issues. I have mixed feelings on that. I, you know, having 30 kids online in a remote session because you couldn't have, you could only have 20 in school does not solve um, an overcrowding population because um, more importantly is how are the teachers able to give the, each kid the individual attention that they need. And um, when both the technology is new, often sometimes for the teacher as well as students, um, more does not get um, easier. Sometimes actually easier to have classroom management of 30 kids physically in, in class than online. Um, online, they were actually sometimes recommending that it doesn't go past 15 or 20. I mean, if you look at those um, Google Meet and Zoom screens and so forth, most of them don't allow you to have more than, uh, uh, the default view is not more than about 10 or also um, students at a time. So what's going on with the kid who's off screen. In a physical classroom, you can see, you know, little Tommy at the back um, is struggling, his face is completely, oh my goodness, I don't get this. On screen, <laughs> where um, a lot of kids already were struggling sometimes with pan with issues, they were not turning on their cameras, rather because they couldn't or because they just didn't want to. Um, it's hard to see that. So in some ways, yes, it did. Uh, help address access because you know what? Um, you could be at home and accessing this. You could be sometimes at the babysitter or at grandma's or whatever it is and accessing your work in a way that you couldn't. There are students who went to foreign countries, um, but it did not address being able to individually identify what this child needs, especially if you know one of the kids was not a visual or um, 
or even auditory learner. So they're looking at this and they're spaced out because they're very tactile. They need someone who's with there and literally showing them and then doing it again. And that's different from sometimes watching a video of someone doing it and doing it again. So it showed a lot of disparities in terms of how kids learn, um, but it also opened opportunity for us to explore different technologies because there are different ones that work with different people. Um, you know, catering for our students with low vision and even our teachers and so forth with low vision. Um, schools were forced to have um, applications and apps and devices or so forth that allowed them to have maybe auditory sound in addition to um, just whatever was visually put on there. Uh, we got a lot of complaints um, from parents at the beginning when um, teachers were just posting a bunch of busy work without explanation or with poorly recorded or written up um, explanation and then telling kids go do it. Um, parents were like outraged. So it forced people to really look at the techniques of um, how you disseminate information, how you get someone to engage and learn how to move from point B in point A to point B in in steps. Um, and a lot of that helped to kind of drive technology. As, um, like I always say, technology is just a tool. Okay, so um, in centuries ago, um, just a pen and a paper was a form of technology because before you had to either memorize and and be able to verbally tell things. So that ability to transfer and document and keep things on paper was a tool as we get more advanced. So now, okay, then you had typewriters. Now we have computers. Now, in addition to that, we have videos and audios and we have touch screens and we can touch stuff and we can write math and we can do lots of different things. But understanding the limits of the tool is important. A tool is only as smart as what, as um, who built it one and <laughs> what um, it is meant to do. Right, right. And, and I mean, that's a fair point. It, it's, you know, how one technology may work for one person and may not work, work for a for different another. person. And then and particularly with schools, it there's, there's a lot of different personalities and, and learning styles and, and then also like personal issues at home. So it's, so there's a, there's a lot of different backgrounds. So applying that one technology to everybody is, uh, of course, going to have its own issues. So now, what does it mean for, you know, that technology in schools being applied to the younger kids who are still kind of in that, their brain, like their brains are still forming in a way. So how, how does it work for the the like the, the, younger the kids? three yeah the three year olds the, the three and the four year olds yeah I mean, how look, would that work for kids them kids are remarkably adaptive um, they say you know the, some of the the most of your learning literally happens in the first eight years of your life and the biggest bulk of that actually happens between zero and two and it's it's kind of funny like I I like to look at little babies when you give them a phone what do they do. If you have a child who was born in like the 80s or the 90s, you see the first thing that they do with a phone is they take it and they put it to them, to their ear and they start um, trying to, to say hello or, you know, their little Google Gaggers. Um, 
you give that to a child who's born in the 2000 and especially the 2010s and, on, and onwards, the first thing they do is they're looking at the phone. The phone is in their hands and they're touching and moving or so forth because that has become almost innate to them. Um, you know, I don't like to put in all those classifications that um, digital learners versus this or so forth. To me, it's a, it's a matter of nurture. So me being in technology, I know my kids were exposed to, you know, being on the laptops and whatever it is. So they're going to mimic what they see. And these three and four year olds surprisingly can show you a lot about some of the technology. What to me became the bigger issue is that some of the traditional tactile skills, holding the pencil properly, being able to learn the letter formation and so forth that you did not have as much control of um, because you're just touching and selecting letters on screen um, is being lost and we have to address those things. Um, as they went older, uh, I think the balance became more important because you don't want to overburden a child. There, there are lots of studies out there as to how much screen time a child should have um, you know, in a continuous goal. And I think the DOE did, um, at least by the beginning of this past school year, try to implement some of that. So you saw that the time increased, whether you were a preschooler versus a, um, a, a elementary school student in, I don't know, third grade versus whether you're a fifth grader versus whether you're a high school student. Um, you saw that it went up um, incrementally the amount of time that they were recommended to be able to like sit and try to work on a task, um, the amount of physical activity that they needed to have in between. And you had some, some teachers who adapted to this virtual learning in such a wonderful way that they found creative ways to keep the kids engaged, to not lose um, any of them. And then some others were themselves going through a lot, a lot of turmoil because this was so new to them that they were losing the kids from the time they said good morning. You know, just from the dejected ways, like I don't want to be here, the kids pick up on that. And I think that that is part of it. Like as a, as a kid, um, I had the experience of feeling there wasn't anything that I couldn't do. And I think um, in this time, you have to kind of cultivate that in the kids as they get exposed to this technology um, and re but really, really tailor it. Look at the studies, look at, um, do feedback after, you know, weekly, monthly, whatever it is in teams, observe other teachers, see what's working, see what isn't and help to apply it because yeah, it was hard for, I, I, I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I'm thankful, I guess that, my youngest kids were 10 in this um, period because I cannot imagine working full time and trying to navigate as I, I have twins um, and trying to navigate, I don't know, twin five-year-olds. It would be <laughs> a disaster for me. I would, I would <laughs> imagine so. Yeah. So what about sort of, because I feel like Technology makes things easier for us, but I feel like at the same time, because it's easier for us, it's sort of, it makes us lazier in a way. Um, well, because- I mean, a tool should help you, yes. It, sh it should help you do something better. If a tool is making you do more work just to use the tool, then you need a new tool. Um, and so, yeah, technology does allow us to do certain things um, easier. 
Okay, so yes, I mentioned the younger kids not maybe having to form out the A or whatnot, being able to identify, oh, this is A and pressing it on a button or this is C or, or whatnot. And what technology to me should be uh, allowing you to do um, is to take the time that you've saved by doing it easier to, 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 deep, to dive down a bit deeper into the comprehension. Okay, so this is A, look at how it's formed. Okay, because now you're not spending as much time with them talking about, okay, how to form it. It's formed. Now, look at how it is. How do you identify it? Which other letters look like that? How do you, you, you know, so you, technology should allow you to change the part. It shouldn't make you lazy. It should just say, okay, you know what? This is the busy work. We, we, we have taken care of the busy work by doing it for you or by having a tool that can do it for you. So now let's understand what this tool is helping us to do, okay? Long time ago before cars, people walked everywhere. Then they had bicycles, they had whatever else. Now you can get from one country to another one place to another in a, in a quicker time. Um, does that make you lazy? Not necessarily. It means that now you have more time to do things where you were and where you're going without having to cater such a long time to go just a short distance. So it's the same thing with technology. Use the tool to allow you to dive down deeper to get more in-depth. You don't have to necessarily cover more material, like, um, but you can go more in-depth and understand. Um, I think one of the issues sometimes with the way that um, a lot of courses are taught in modules is that the students never get a chance to go deep enough. As soon as you've like touched the surface of a um, part, if you get derailed with um, an interesting conversation in a class, by the next class you realize, oh, I'm running out of time. I have to I have to do this because it's going to be marking period. Okay, use the technology so that you know what the stuff that would have taken me half an hour to get done can be done in ten minutes. So now I have twenty more minutes to have that interaction, to have that. Um, question and answer to let the kids get in groups and sort it out for themselves. Well, with that, like even using your car example, you know, we used to walk everywhere and now we drive everywhere. So now that we drive anywhere, drive everywhere, physically, we're not moving. And so because we're not moving, we're not physically active. We are unhealthier. We're you know, we're getting right. sick, we're getting sicker. So right. and not that I, I want to walk everywhere, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying like, because we have cars and trains and planes, it's like, you know. So now though, but now you have a million and one different um, types of exercise programs and um, focus on um, diet and nutrition and fitness and the body and being able to work on your arms versus on your legs and then the person who had the broken foot but still wants to stay active can do upper body exercise while their foot is healing whereas while you're walking so this is what i'm saying like it's not that you have to necessarily get lazier you have to sometimes maybe be more creative or you have the opportunity to explore more okay some people walking was a chore Okay, maybe you had a heart issue, um, maybe that extra physical exertion, but you, you know, having, being able to do those um, exercises, the same thing to me applies in education with, with technology. A lot of times teachers were forced to just rush through the curriculum because state testing is coming or, you know, all of these other 
um, artificially marked parts of learning. Um, most kids the, this year had the opportunity in a well-formed program to to work like some of those more independent schools where um, students have these like customized curriculum for them. You know, they're going out and they're learning at a pace that makes sense. Um, it didn't happen for everyone. Yes, some people got um, left behind, but in a utopian um, application of all the technologies that we have, of the model that we're in. Um, and this part, I guess, is a bit exciting to me because as I mentioned, I one of my studies is in technology and education. I, I've been um, all but dissertation for way too long. Um, and this was one of the focuses of it, using technology, one, as a mentoring tool um, and to capture students who may otherwise fall into the cracks. OK, um, this pandemic really showed out those cracks. So I think our question and our um, responsibility now is to find out, OK, how do we address those cracks? You know, and I, I, I love analogies, so <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if you hear me inserting a lot of it. Um, so going away from my car one and going to like a house one now, um, one of the other things we saw a lot of people doing over this um, pandemic was home repairs because people are now inside their houses and they're looking up at the ceiling and seeing these cracks that they didn't see before and all of the things. And all of a sudden you got people painting and you got people doing all these things. Do the same with our education. Okay, all of a sudden, the kids who just weren't showing up to school um, and they were being mislabeled as, oh, they're not interested or whatnot. Um, now you're trying to get them on with technology and you're seeing, oh, wait a minute, this person has the tool because they were given that and they're there. Okay, all right, so what was the issue before? Why weren't they there? Is it because they have um, a parent who is working three jobs and not able to get them ready in time. They have younger siblings that they're taken into three different directions, but now everybody's at home, they're on. And then you had some who were thriving in the physical classroom um, and now at home, you can't get anything. And you, you try to figure out, okay, well, what is it? Is it an uncomfortable situation there? Is there some um, other issues that need to be dealt with? And the technology, the metrics, the analytics, all of that, are tools that we just need now to figure out how do we best work with them to make sure that we best serve each child. Because what's right for my son is different from what's right for my daughters. What's right for one of my twin daughters is not is, is different from what's right from the other. When you put that to, um, it's not just 1.5 million students, that's 1.5 million DOE students. You add in the private school students, the charter school students, the, all of these other students. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot of data that we've gathered over this year. There's a lot of technology that we've thrown out. Some of them, it is worthless. Uh, um, a lot of it is good. Uh, some of it is misapplied. So now we need to really go back to the drawing board and figure out what worked, what didn't. Do those, do those um, analysis and move forward. And, and and I see that and, and you 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 know you bring up a lot of good points but then of course with technology you know there's more things that have to be addressed and there's also right. the, the long-term effects of it and even going back to 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 children it's you know you have to think about their development and is it is um, it adversely affecting them and everything yeah and I mean look 
there's a lot of people who um, don't allow their kids to watch TV. And then now they were forced in this last year to put them in front of a screen and not even normally the size of a TV screen, but much smaller screens um, for hours for a day. Okay, we're not gonna see, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these long-term effects for years. Um, that's the scary part of this. And this is why, as I said, like quick analysis, quick um, reviews of, you know, whatever is monthly, whatever is weekly, whatever is whatever it is, having all of these um, things is important. We're getting so much data um, and it's unfortunate, but it, it is the way that science works. Um, our kids right now, yes, they're being used as guinea pigs. Um, and honestly, they're, you know, it, it doesn't sound good when you put it that way, but that is what, what is happening because we throw in a lot of technology at them. Um, we're learning some of it works, we're learning some of it doesn't. Um, it will help guide policies and programming for um, future generations. Um, the overall effects on our current students is still being analyzed, um, but the best that we can do is to make sure that we are kind of trying to, to put um, a, a support system around each child so that we can see how it's affecting you or me or this other child at this point in time and do the best that we can if they, if we see something going the wrong way to correct it. But yeah, the long-term effects um, from a scientific and ex, um, experimental point of view is exciting. There's lots of things that's coming out. From a humanitarian point of view, it's scary. And even like the loss of like basic skills. I, I think I remember reading somewhere that, um, um, be, I mean, this is in regards to like texting, but it's like, because kids are texting more, they can't like hold a pen properly That's or much. something like that. Or like right. they don't have like the hand formation. Right. So, I mean, I know we're in a digitized world. So we'll, how many things will you be writing by hand really? But like it'll, it'll like simple things like that. Right. And, you know, again, as I said, it's the um, modification of the skills that are most important to us. Um, and it, this is why like the introduction of tech cannot um, occur in a, in a vacuum. Um, along with the technology support and the instructional support, you need to have um, the occupational therapist and all of those um, other hands-on services and you know thank goodness there's a lot of things that are being moved back to in person because I do know um, people in those fields who were doing virtual parts and it, it's hard especially if it's with a younger kid or newer kid how how you can try to look if you have a really good camera at how a child is holding on to a pen um, and then forming this but it's not the same sometimes as being in the room and helping them you know do it showing them um, how, how to do it. You're, you're actually using different skills. Um, but I mean, I do throw the losing the skills um, bit back at like, okay, how many of us know how to create a fire with, um, I don't know, two rocks or, or something like that? Um, it's a skill that many of our ancestors had, but because we have matches and lots of other lighting tools right now, um, 
it's a skill that if you really, really wanted, you know, you're an Eagle Scout or um, whatever else, you can go out and find it, but we're not using it day to day. So losing it is not necessarily as um, big a deal as it, it may be. Of course, that's not the same as necessarily being able to hold a pen, but you also have to look at the fact that yes, most times these days, what are we using the pens for? For signing our names or, or things like that. Um, so I think it's important to, yeah, make a note of the things that we're not doing as much and have at least some occasional parts so that at least you're familiar. You, you're probably not going to have as many people who, unless um, they're into calligraphy or something, having the beautiful penmanships that um, some of us were forced to have in high school because otherwise, you, you know, you got all the red marks across your paper. But it's to me, it's a, it's a transference of skills. You don't need to do this now, but you need to be able to navigate your um, computer. You need to be able to save your work. You need to be able to upload it. Those were things that the people with a beautiful penmanship never even heard of or wouldn't be able to do today or, or um, the older ones who learn that way are sometimes having tr troubles with. So um, it's sometimes it becomes an apples and oranges comparison. That's why it's important to, um, to do like a holistic, um, uh, review, I guess, of what is going on. Um, and I think that's why, in addition to all the tech and stuff being thrown at it, um, all of the major school districts, um, so the DOE, um, and throughout the country have been really um, hinting at social emotional learning and all of those kind of things because technology is there, but the technology has to be supported by the wider um, and the holistic view of the, the child. Okay, you can only really benefit from using a tool if the rest of you is also taken care of. And that's, that's a very fair point. So what about the, I guess, the argument that all this technology, even especially in kids, is kind of blocking like human connection and that, you know, like we're not really socializing as much where you know, we're more lonely because we're not really interacting. We're on our computers. What do you say to that? Um, I mean, it works for some and it doesn't work for others. And you have to know yourself. I'm talkative. I like the human connection. But um, also being someone in tech, um, there's a lot of people who I grew up with that I still maintain connection with. But I'm not going to see. I haven't seen them in years. I, I haven't. Um, I saw some people a couple months ago because I traveled. Um, that I haven't seen in maybe 15 years. Um, but we were not necessarily estranged because of technology, because we were able to follow each other on social media. We were able to interconnect in those kind of ways. Um, with the kids, um, I have three kids and they're very different kids. My son is very quiet. Um, he is into his video gaming or so forth. Um, but in the middle of him playing some of the games at the times when I'm trying maybe to get him to go to bed, you would never think he was a quiet kid because he's on there and he's communicating with his friends. So I think, um, yes, we're developing different ways of communicating and it may not be as um, intrinsic to us who grew up being able to go outside and play and jump and run. Um, and this is why even video game um, creators and so forth are trying to incorporate these things. That's why you had like the Wii, the Wii Fit. You can, you, you know, some kids who may never have played um, 
tennis or whatever else because maybe they felt more socially awkward or weren't as athletic or so forth and would have gotten left back on the field um but were great video gamers are now playing and learning the skills and then sometimes if they even get into the game enough that they decide to bring it back outside so i mean to me it's again it's all about how you um apply it and i always go back to technology as a tool so finding the tool to support your lifestyle, to help um, support your child where that child is. If your child is very, um, you know, is very um, introverted, um, being able to express themselves online may allow a kid who, um, especially if they have the option for anonymous things or so forth, may allow them to do it. Um, if you have a kid who really does not like a lot of exercises or so forth, trying to find something that they they like. Um, I remember my, <laughs> I used to be cracking up when I when I'm trying to work and my kids are having gym, and it's these kind of contests where um, I, I think like they may have to make a vote on something, and if they chose this if they chose the left hand then they have to run in place for 10 minutes or if they chose the other thing then they may have to do burpees on the ground or, or whatnot so there are creative ways that um even pre-recorded content can allow you to still become interactive so it comes to the application um you know i'm probably biased because i'm in the technology field um but i don't think i think that there are way more pros than cons to it especially like as people go through um safety as they're concerned about the upsurges and now we're talking about new uh, delta um variants and all these other things um with the virus some people are just physically not ready to get back out there and be social and be hugging and be whatever else and if you've drummed in your kid for the last year don't hug don't touch keep your mask on or whatnot um it, it does affect their ability to feel comfortable to do social interaction and technology is like a to me a bit of a bridge you want to keep that middle part you don't want them to become so into the technology that they don't know how to um work with others but at the same point in time you don't want to dismiss the technology or put it all into the bad thing you don't punish a child necessarily by um oh well you know what um taking away <laughs> your technology okay you know what you can't have your technology i'm going to give you a book that's bad because now you're trying to you you're you're associating okay if you're physically reading a book with something bad um and your ipad was something good all right whereas sometimes they were reading on the ipad there are some kids who didn't want to read the physical books and they were reading on there so you you create i don't know ways of positively motivating them to do the things that um they would have done physically learn learning how to skip um all these kids now they're into the TikTok videos and whatnot many um schools are are jumping on the bandwagon and teaching complicated um life skills in the means of that because you see them doing all those um you know intricate dances and stuff like that with no part so when they bring that into some kind of a science lesson or whatnot it sticks in the same way so i think it's a matter of understanding that our children's minds might be functioning a little bit different than ours may have and trying to adapt to them, trying to support them, not dismissing any um, the the value of the old school skills, but finding ways to mix and match, meet people where they are, and then show them the benefit of oh, but 
this is also good because I bring back up the TikTok part. I see um, my kids would come um, singing some song that I know I knew as a kid. I'm like, where you heard that? And then I realized it's from a TikTok video. And these are some of the ways that a lot of things are being remade and reintroduced. So it's, it's a matter of repurposing <laughs> so that they don't lose the skills. Um, and at the same time, keeping an open mind that, you know what? Yeah, every generation is going to have that part of, in my day, we did this this way. Um, we have it that our parents and our grandparents are going to complain about things that we do this way. So we have to remember that part. We were young once and we found that anything that our parents or grandparents did was old school or not the way we want to do it. And then, you know, there's that thing we turn out fine. Um, some people turn out fine with a lot of issues. Um, so you want to address the issues, yes, but you don't want to um, stifle it and say it must be done that way. Be open to the ways that they are creating a new world for themselves. And even, but even with technology, like it's still, then there's the maintenance part. Like you, there has to be Wi-Fi available and right. it has to be functioning or else how, if it malfunctions, then that's it. And then even with like some of the virtual sessions that I had with students, there was like, almost always the issue of faulty Wi-Fi and whether they had it or not. And then it comes down to access. They may not have it in the house, so they have to go to a school, they have to go to a library. So it, you know, while yes, it is a tool, it's also, do you have access to that tool? And right. if you don't have access, then, you know, it so, becomes a struggle. So this is, look, I, I grew up in the Caribbean. And um, one of the things I, I would say that that helped us to be is a little bit innovative because, you know, when we were doing exams and doing some of our labs, there was always something that maybe was not as easily accessible because a lot of things were built off of the first world countries. So what, what it kind of helps you sometimes to do is to become creative. There were sometimes parts that you need to um, either use your um, imagination or whatever it is and come around. This should not be what is the base for our kids, but this is a, where it goes back to programming, okay? Yes, if um, ideally every kid should have, whether it's a laptop or the um, things, if you're gonna be moving virtual, we identified that not all of them got it or those some people want to wait list for the entire year, okay? You should have alternatives, ways of doing certain, doing some of the same activities on pen and paper. Um, there was the issue with pen and paper in the height of the pandemic where, you, you know, they were trying to avoid having to distribute anything or so forth. Um, means of sending packages to the house, which means that if you're doing certain programming um, and then you're catering for kids not being able to access or having faulty Wi-Fi, it, it, it dealt with you pre-planning so that you can get these things to them or have some way that they can pick up or, or things like that. So that part to me is less on the, the technology and on the program administration on, as you mentioned, the access, the equity. Okay. DOE says that um, its uh, motto is equity for all, but we saw first and foremost that no, there was not equity for all. Okay. Um, so yes, you want to create ways of doing that. You do not 
um, you, you have to create ways of not penalizing a child who through no fault of their own cannot get the same things that the other kid is getting, um, but then still be able to find creative alternatives for them to be able to um, study the same skills, be able to master the same things because we did it without technology. Technology is a tool, okay? I can ride my bike down the street, you can walk down the street. Um, in some cases, in the middle of traffic, I mean, I work in Manhattan, um, walking some places in Manhattan gets you there a lot faster than taking the car. So if the car is a technology, sometimes the walking works just as well. Um, we have to find those ways in there. And uh, that also goes to like some of the teacher education programs and so forth that they, um, you know, I think some teachers are overwhelmed with the like the forced professional developments and whatnot. So it shouldn't be like professional development just to have professional development or because it's mandated. It should be like a more programmatic look. Um, some schools are very well at like partnering teachers together, having like grade level discussions, having um, subject level discussions as to what's working. Um, and all of that helps them to better support the child because there is that, per the more you sometimes collaborate, the more you're able to answer the questions about what about the kid without this? What if the internet goes off? What if all of these things, you, you know? Um, I know all city agencies were required to have a continuity of operations plan or coup plan um, for their employees, okay? Um, this is one of my questions, okay? What are the continuity of operation plans for education, whether it's for DOE, whether it's for charter school, whether it's for whatnot? And all of these plans are supposed to identify what happens to the kids who do not have access to what is the ideal, okay? We ordered the laptop for you in September, it's December and it's not here. Are you missing three months of school or what was the alternative for you? Okay, those are the ways that you supplement your technology, you make sure. Um, you, you know, we've all seen sometimes uh, even on online that you look at an image and maybe you're on your phone or you're on a really slow connection and you don't see the image. The image never comes up for you, but you can read, you know what image was supposed to be there because there's little text that says um, picture of a beach or, or something like that. So maybe you don't get the exact picture of what's in there, but you haven't lost everything that you just have absolutely no no idea what's not supposed to be there and these are the contingency plans that we have to put in place for kids who are not able to get the access as quickly as needed um and then when you're grading okay you can't grade on okay what's the color of the the um sand and the the beach and is there a red umbrella you can grade on something like okay what is shown on this um, corner of the screen and it's a picture of a beach. Whether you saw the picture because you have the technology and the bandwidth, you know it's a picture of a beach. Or if you had the slow bandwidth um, or you had a printed picture, there is that little X there that says, this is a picture of a beach. So you can still say that. Those are ways that you can um, kind of help to equalize the playing field, for lack of a better term. So you're saying when it comes to equity to put more put more of the responsibility on the school, on the institution, as opposed to the, the person itself. 
Um, yeah, and uh, so I there's um, a school of thought, and um, <laughs> I'm gonna uh, shout out one one lady who um, to me is doing a lot as far as that as um, helping support students. Um, uh, Vina Sketchem, and one of the things she says is like every child is brilliant. Okay, um, and she suggests like testing for every child, uh, not because you're thinking that something is wrong with every child, but to find the best way to individually um, support them. When you think of like the DOE system or any um, any student in uh, in New York, they have the opportunity if they need support to get an IEP or indiv um, individualized education plan. Within this, this can support whether you need speech therapy or whether you need lots of things. If we work towards like getting each child evaluated, not necessarily just for services, but for needs, doing a needs assessment of what each child needs, okay, that allows you to better help support them. That cannot be the parent's responsibility. The parent has to partner with the school, with the um, Department of Education, with whether it's from the state level because you may be in a private school or from a public school or whatnot. The parent has to partner, but you have many parents who are immigrants who do not speak English, um, who may not have had a um, post-secondary um, education, may not have even had a secondary education. Um, and these parents may not know what to ask for. So this is why, okay, as the certified individuals being paid the big bucks to educate the children, the responsibility has to be primarily on the school, on the education system. Of course, parents can need to support. Of course, they need to be involved. Um, you know, some parents can be a blocker to it because you know some students are thriving were thriving in physical school because when they were in there they were without like the you know parents um, distracting them or not supporting them in that way. But a partnership is ideal. But without a partnership, you should still be able to identify which students are struggling, which students' needs are not being met, because you have professionals who have studied this, who have studied how to identify gaps in, in students' learning, who have studied the tools and techniques that work for particular things. And these are the people that are being hired by the education department at the state level, at the federal level, at the local level. These are the people who are being appointed as the principals and the superintendents and whatnot. So now we have to hold them to their jobs and their jobs is to make sure that our children learn. Whether I am a involved parent or not is going to help determine how easy that job is. But the fact is just because I'm not, I'm an absent parent or whatnot, my child should not still be just lost in the system. That's, that's a very good point. Very good point. All right, so I just wanna bring it back a little bit to in the school itself of the kids. So there may be another issue of, because of the Google Classroom and the Zoom and, and the video chat platforms, as well as using apps more, um, going back to you saying that it's a tool, tools can also be manipulated and it, it could also, <laughs> you could also get around it, you know? So, right. and I think that um, like with, um, I'm trying to think, like I remember there was one story of 
um, there was a teacher that had all the homework on an app <laughs> and the kids figured out that if you give it a low score on like the Apple store, it'll be deleted. So it's like, how, how do you deal with, with that, that kids can figure out that I can manipulate this, I can get around this. Like, yes, we're on a video chat, but that doesn't mean I could, even my niece and nephew, like they're on Google Classroom and they're playing Roblox at the same time and they're watching YouTube at the same time. So how do you how do you deal with the sneakiness of our youth? Listen, um, I was a mischievous kid. I love mischievous kids because it takes brain power to be mischievous. So a lot of it has to be kind of redirected. Um, if kids can get to the point of deleting your app so they don't have to do that homework, I say power to you. But now, okay, you got this deleted. Um, maybe this is that means that you are at that stage maybe now you have to work together with me to, to work to create an app that will work for you like I, I i like the idea of like turning some of these um the mischief that kids do into positive um ways of applying because they have the skills so it's a matter sometimes of redirecting where these skills are are being um applied and uh, and again it 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 goes with just the same way that we're moving from pen and paper to online, you have to rethink. You can't just take a paper or a test and put it online. I teach mainly higher ed, um, and in higher ed, there are million and one tools like um, lock, Lockdown Browser and Respondus and, and um, um, Plagiarize and so forth to um, basically uh to basically police students work so you can do lockdown browser when you're doing um exams uh, so that students can only go to that particular browser they can't open anything else to cheat um you can use um respondents and so forth you can use plagiarize to to compare what they're giving you back to what's out there in like a very large database when i'm giving my test i don't use any of it why? Because I decided that I prefer to focus on them, like asking questions, like there's going to be a couple of recall questions that, yes, you know what, honestly, you could go out there and grab those answers. It's going to take you more time because maybe you don't have as much time in there, you know, unless you know where to look in the first place. But that's also a skill that we we're teaching. Um, OK, if you don't know something, how do you find it? But then what I what instead I do is I have some questions that are more application based that you have to think about it and there's no way that you're going to go and find that answer okay um you have to modify your stuff you can use um if it's, it's an online quiz or so forth doing things like randomizing questions so you know what you and your friend are doing your questions oh we're going to do our questions together you could be sitting right next to each other looking at each other's things you're not going to be getting the same set of questions or, you know, maybe you get the same set of questions, but in a completely different order. So if you're just cheating based on, okay, number one is A and okay, A, whatever it is, somebody's going to probably get a very good score and somebody, um, another one. And then there are ways sometimes of realizing that, like two exact same answer sheets, um, you know, all of these things. So I think um, <laughs> admitting that kids are creative and catering to that. You can't be lazy as an educator in this time. You have to acknowledge that, look, 
any system that's out there, somebody's going to try to break it. And it's one of those things, like there are things that my kids do and you have to talk to them sternly and give them the, the, um, the, the face because, and teach them why it's wrong. But silently, sometimes behind, you're, you're secretly proud. It's like, yeah, okay, I see how your, your brain is doing. And then find ways to work with that. that that's my, my take on, on some of these things. It's not, don't find ways to punitive, to, oh, you know, we're going to make sure that they can cheat. Okay, why are they cheating? One, it's sometimes either too easy. Two, they realize you're being lazy and reusing stuff. Um, three, um, it's a challenge for them. And, you know, unfortunately, the world we're in rewards people for these kind of things. When Apple creates a new device, okay, there's a challenge to be able to break it. The first kid who breaks it gets that and a, and a promise of a job down the line. You, you know, there's lots of these things. So you have to you have to understand the world we're looking in. Like lots of people who are out there hacking and stuff like that. Some of them are just doing it for the fun of it. Okay, you have people, and then they get recruited by people who have other agendas, whether political or financial or whatnot. So why not, in the positive um, realm, give them the incentives to do the skills, but in a positive way? Okay, these are the problems. Um, let's see how you can solve it, how can you can get around it, how you can crack that code, make it into a fun game with positive reinforcement so that when they do it, it's not something that they need to now be penalized for, but it's something that you can celebrate and go to the next stage and then maybe discuss, okay, what was learned from it? Um, because, yeah, trust me, I mean, if, if a kid ends up being able to, to get my, my app deleted, I'm sorry, I'm going to be secretly proud of that kid. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely... It, there's pros and cons to technology and education. And and I guess my kind of wrapping it up here. So my last question to you, like, do you think there is such thing as too much technology? Yes. Um, I think everything in moderation, just as you can eat too much food, you can do too much exercise, everything, no matter how good, you can overuse it. Okay. And this is why... Um, I apologize if my background got a little noisy. Um, this is why um, as the kids from the younger age, you need less because you do have to work on those tactile skills. By the time you're in elementary or so forth, there's certain skills that a two or three year old is just learning. Like as you mentioned, you mentioned the ha holding the pencil, you mentioned um, forming the letters, you mentioned all these different things that at the time you're six and seven, you don't have to worry about. So yes, you can go more in depth into the technology. And then even as an adult, like you need a break. I work on the computer multiple days and, um, you know, multiple hours a day. And even myself, like there've been time, especially in the past year when um, I'm coming from one meeting. So I'm on a Zoom meeting, then I'm on a Teams meeting. Today I missed a meeting. Um, you know, and you need a break and you take that one day and I don't know, you go to the park or you read a physical book or you just sleep and you get back up feeling so refreshed. Okay. So able to tackle the things that was taking, I don't know, five hours to do this one paragraph of work. You took a nap and then you knock it off in 10 minutes. Um, this happens to us as adults. So imagine what happens with the kids. There's a time that you get overloaded. 
okay? Um, they need consistency. They need um, to be able to explore. They need not only rules about, okay, what you can do. They need to sometimes be given a guideline of what you can do with something and given free time to explore. And yes, they need some downtime. Um, it's a struggle for me sometimes with my son because if he can sit on the computer for, you know, from the time he awakes to the time he sleeps, he'll do that. Um, so it, it, you have to balance it out. You have to find what's right for one versus, you know, one versus the other. Um, for me, it's it's always interesting to see those differences, especially with my twins. Um, but within the school system, that balance has to come from sometimes from the top. Okay, um, this is where like the guidance and so forth going. Do you have the New York City system? I think is one of the most rigorous in the country, um, and they have requirements for their educators. Um, you can't get into certain into the classroom without certain certifications. You can't do that, and to get those certifications, you've gone through a lot of these courses. You you've taken at least a minimum that talks about you know some of these kind of things. Classroom management, balances, and so forth. This is a time to apply them. And as a parent, if you realize that, okay, you know what? Um, and, and it happens to me, I, I think, especially with older kids who have different teachers. With one teacher, sometimes it's easier to, to stay balanced because they're doing all their management. Um, if you have older kids who have different classes, sometimes what happens is the teachers are not talking to each other. So your child's doing, I don't know, math with one teacher and ELA with another and social studies with another and then science with yet another. If each of these teachers are acting as though their tech time and their screen time is only for them, your child is going to be overwhelmed. And if you have a talkative child, you're going to hear about it pretty quickly. If you have a quieter child, sometimes as a parent, you, you're not going to hear about it, but you, if you're on top of their work and, you know, maybe finding out, okay, what do you have for homework or whatnot, you can realize this. And this is a point to reach out and say, maybe first to the teacher and say, okay, um, I notice X, Y, Z is happening. You don't get a response. You reach out to uh, whether it's the parent coordinator or the principal or whatever it is. You're not getting a response at the school level, go deeper. Um, but it, it that's why it takes a village, it takes communication, but the fact is there should be a default standard that whether you're there or not works for your kid. And then what about the idea of that technology can be addictive to kids? <laughs> it is. It's addictive to adults. I mean, I, 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 you know, as much as I love it and it has provided me with um, a lot of um, opportunities, resources, and connections, I spent way too much um, time on Facebook in the last year. Um, I haven't spent maybe as much on some of the other social media platforms um, with kids now, whether it's the TikTok or, or so forth. Yeah, it's addictive. Anything that you like, whether it's gaming, that, you, you know, can become... Um, addictive and technology is easy to get addicted to, especially if it's something that you're just consuming that doesn't take much besides like a thumb just moving or a finger just swiping. Um, it becomes very easy to become addicted. Um, and this is where the people who are um, guiding you, 
the people who are responsible for facilitating your classes, the people who are responsible for you are supposed to be on top of that. Because as a kid with less self-control, you're not going to do it. I like it. I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. You see it with little kids. You tell them, okay, it's time to come out of the pool or whatever it is. And they'll stay there and become like a shriveled up arm um, wrinkle. There's a point in time when you have to step in as a <laughs> parent and take them out. You have to do the same sometimes with the technology. I had to turn off um, like the internet at certain times with my son. Like I told him, okay, get off at a certain time and he's not doing it. And he'd speak to him once, twice, it becomes an argument. And I'm like, okay, you're not gonna do it. Then I'll do it. <laughs> Right. So there comes a point where you may have to be the one to step in and, step in, and right. turn it off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So do you have any advice for the people out there, for people, you know, who have to navigate this new world of technology or maybe they know about it, but, you know, kids can get around like any, any final advice you want to give to our viewers? Um, I would just say technology is a tool. I keep repeating, technology is a tool. It is not something to be scared of. It is not something to be used as a crutch. So it's not going to solve your issues. Neither is it supposed to make them worse. Tools are supposed to help us. If technology, if a particular technology is not working for you, reach out um, when it's in the realm of education, whether that is to the teacher, to the principal, to the district, whatever it is. If you need a technology that you're not there, that will make it easier for your child's um, life to, <laughs> to for, the, for your child to succeed, do the same, okay? You were promised a um, device in August and you just keep not hearing anything, reach out, reach out at the higher levels, come to um, all the different meetings, come to go to your CC meetings, bring it up there, go to um, the other education council meetings, join your, your PCA, be part of your school leadership teams, be part of whatever else and bring your concerns, understand what your child is doing, understand the technology, you don't have to become an expert at it, but at least get an idea of what it does. So that if your child says, I need help, you may say, look, I can't help you, but I can reach out for you. Talk to other parents, okay? More often than not, whatever concerns you're having, someone else is having. And having that thing makes it, you know, like there's that, we have that tendency not to want to ask certain questions because we don't want to feel stupid. Okay, when you realize that, okay, you know what? This is not only my issue, this is five people's issue. You no, you no longer feel stupid, okay? Reach out, use the tools, let the tools help you. Anytime a tool is not helping you, it is time to change that tool. If you can change it yourself, that's sometimes fine. But a lot of times when it comes to our kids' education, you can change it yourself. So you have to reach out to the higher ups to make sure that they can change it for you. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was that was just awesome. All right, so if you are a DOE parent, you could sign up for the mailing list and attend the meetings of your respective community education council. You could sign up for the council in District 28 specifically, if you're interested, at www.cecd28.org slash contacts. 
And if you happen to be in the, the Queens area, Queens, New York, and you're on Facebook or Instagram, you could check out the Black Resource Network and its subgroups. Again, it's B-L-A-Q-U-E. And <clears throat> the Black Resource Network is has over 15,000 members and it's focused on connecting its members with education, career, and wealth building resources through connecting and sharing. And all this contact information will be provided in the bio. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. And thank you, Nathifa, for coming back uh, to Hot Topics. <laughs> and uh, please check out our YouTube channel for more videos and clips. And don't forget to subscribe. Tune in next time. Thank you again. Signing off. Bye, Thank everybody. You. Bye.